Good morning! On this bowl of Question Crunch, Moni Barrett is here to talk about being a champion of literature, answering questions about being a librarian, their love of comics, and what probably killed the library ghost on Ghostbusters. <laughs> It's funny because a lot of these podcasts start with flattery. I always start with saying how amazing the guests are because I truly mean that. And it's not, uh, I don't often get the opportunity to tell my guests who I know. A lot of times I do interview friends and I don't get the opportunity to be like, I'm going to flatter you. And so that's why I feel like the start is usually me taking that opportunity. Um, I think that you are absolutely amazing. And I was going on a list. <laughs> Sorry, this is the second episode that I've done after COVID. And while I feel like my lungs are cool, whenever I do these interviews, my lungs are like, mm, we're, we're less cool. We're not so cool. Did you get COVID? I, to my knowledge, and I have obviously tested many times since, since we knew what it was, nobody in my family, immediate family, has ever had it. So, awesome. And would. Yeah. I don't know how that happened. Um, I had a doctor tell me that my blood type is more resistant, but obviously people with my blood type have gotten it, so I, I don't know. <laughs> so back to the flattery. Sorry, I just got completely sidetracked because I was just like, I'm talking about my COVID. Do you have COVID? Okay, cool. Anyway, back to the flattery. I think you're absolutely amazing. I was going down the list when I invited you. I was going down the list of how amazing you are adding uh, all of the stuff from being a librarian I can't stress enough how much I love librarians. I can't stress enough how much I love libraries. And we'll get to that eventually in the conversation. Uh, but we also, I also want to mention how, because <clears throat> I think, I think we got connected through, uh, what's it called? I'm blanking on it. I have a list. Oh, Creators Assemble. I yeah. That's <laughs> Which was funny because I think we probably crossed paths unknowingly like it. Comics Fest or somewhere like that in the past? More than likely. <clears throat> I, I feel like a lot of times when I interview people on these podcasts, I re realize how many times nerd circles just cross paths. And even yeah. if you haven't met, sometimes, not often, but I'll look at photos and be like, oh, yep, there's me. I'm in the background. I was there. <laughs> um. But the creators, the creators assemble thing that we did was you had a bunch of artists get together and draw drawings for uh, sick kids, and I think that that was amazing. I thought it was really fantastic. Uh, I'm always interested and available to to do drawings for sick kids, and so when I got that message, I'm like, "Yep, I'm down. Let's do this. Always, always ready." Yeah, that, I love that project. I was really sad that we weren't able to do that um, this holiday season, but we're in the process of looking for a new organization to do that with. But yeah, that's like, I think everyone's like favorite thing on our on our side too of, of what we do with CA. So, is that difficult to find organizations that want to do it? Um, a little bit, just because there's a lot of you know bandwidth at these organizations is limited. And um, yeah, particularly the one that we worked with had a lot of restrictions, as they should, um, on how much we could say about the fact that we even did it. Um, and that was for mostly for the privacy of the kids, which totally makes sense. 
but it got to a point of bureaucracy where it was really difficult for us to even maintain that relationship. So um, I think we took Ganel on it this, this past holiday season with the hopes that we can do it maybe even twice a year, you know, not just for the holidays, because we have so many artists like yourself who are amazing and willing to do that. It's just more um, finding an organization, the whole, you know, also like, that's a lot of trust to put in to be like, the artist might want to, you know, even virtually meet with a sick child, like that's something that you have to talk the organization and then their families into, you know, so it's a couple layers, but we love it. Um, and we love everything we do over there. So. It's always amusing when the restrictions are very understandable, when it's like, oh no, so many, jump, so many hoops I have to jump through. But for safety, I'm okay with jumping through a million hoops, but it's gonna be exhausting. It's gonna be tedious. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so I mentioned how much I love uh, libraries and librarians. Uh, what made you want to become a librarian? I, I was trying to pinpoint that. I, I kind of was looking over the questions and, I knew I wanted to like teach or like give resources to people to help them succeed. Um, and teaching though, funny enough, not that you ever get rich being a librarian either, but you get paid more to be a librarian than you do as an entry level teacher. <laughs> so I figured I might as well not deal with some of the things I'd heard my friends dealing with at the time. It was when they were like um, giving the pink slips every year to a bunch of my young teacher friends like laying them off for the summer and then like not bringing them back. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm gonna go work for a city where you get the government retirement and all of those things and get to be and have these relationships with your community and watch people grow and not necessarily have to teach them for a year and lose them either. So that was kind of the, the spirit of it. And then when I started, I started doing it part-time because I was working full-time in sales. I decided to get a real big girl job after after my first college degree and I hated I hated like private sector working in sales it was awful and so I started doing the library stuff part-time like evenings and weekends I hadn't realized how much of it also was can be depending on the type of librarianship um like merchandising like making things look good so people want to look at your book display decorating for the holidays and making things like welcoming for people to come into your space doing crafts, doing programs, having parties, like that ended up being really of interest is how you could kind of take whatever you love in your real life and do that in your professional life. That was something that I didn't get in the private sector at all. It's interesting how many people forget that that's important, uh, decorating and doing activities because it's okay. <laughs> It's not that people, well, no, it is that people have a short attention span, but a lot of it is we're overworked and exhausted. And a lot of times we just get trapped in our own little echo chamber of life. And so whenever yeah. someone out there says, hey, look what I'm doing, it's a little glimmer of light to let people know, oh, there's something not going on there. I should go over and check it out. Yeah having a warm welcoming atmosphere decorating for the holidays is important because that makes people feel comfortable in a safe space that they can go find a book <laughs> yeah and it's funny because one of my favorite like i do a lot of panels and lectures and things now like one of my favorite icebreakers is asking the panelists like what is your library story because some of them are bad 
though. Like some of them are like this really mean librarian that scared me or whatever. But every almost everyone has a library story, right? And that's always interesting is like people remember the way you made them feel, whether you freaked them out or you made them feel welcome. And so it's like, wow, that's a really like I hadn't realized up until then, like you could be a part of something that, you know, the library saved me or I didn't have any place to go after school or I hadn't been since I was in fourth grade. But when I came in, it was really cool in there, like whatever, you know, is, is always a nice, nice to hear, too. I know this conversation is probably going to inspire me to go to the library, probably not today, maybe tonight. We'll see. I really need to get back to <laughs> last year. One of my New Year's resolutions was I'm going to read more. And I got to maybe one book. We'll see. I don't know. I don't want I don't want <laughs> I don't want to say that and have my listeners be like, you only read one book. I read other stuff. Let's <laughs> but one book reading was... <laughs> articles is reading. There's other types of literacy. Yes. Uh, and I also love that about you as well. Uh, how much you focus and support comics. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that, I mean, again, the whole like bringing something you love into your work and finding out that that connects with your community in, in a way that's unique to you. Um, so I became a comics librarian just because I, when I started my first full time in library professional world, you're like a library associate or a library assistant, and then you get that master's degree. And when I finally got a librarian job, I was brand new at the organization. I wanted to impress them, and I was like, need to find a community need. And what they were doing was they had um, adults, like mature comics in the teen section. And so the adults were like going over to the teen section all uncomfortable and the teens were all uncomfortable having the adults in their area and this was fans and book challenges have always been something that libraries are used to dealing with way before 2020 and all that and I was like this library is going to get themselves in trouble because someone's parent is going to be like why is my kid reading this Deadpool or whatever else <laughs> you know that's in the labeled teen on the spine and so that was an interesting moment was I kind of like went there's a need for an adult comics collection and you have the adult stuff in the cartoon section and people actually do check it out. And I bet you if you pull it towards the front and put it all together and put a sign on it, people will actually find it. And I was right and able to prove that. And that's kind of like where everything started snowballing from. That's interesting how uh, like I, I'm not going to be one of those people that says, oh, down with labels. Labels are bad. But. I do find it interesting that people do feel not intimidated, but uh, shy, shy, nervous. I don't know. They're they're worried adults being like, I'm an adult. I'm going to feel awkward in the teen area. They're, that label says teen. I should not be here, even though that book has way too much violence for a kid, for any teenager. Yeah, yeah. That was the biggest thing is just it's okay to have teens who want to read older it's just not okay to have stuff in the wrong spot like why are we going to get a full ass master's degree in knowing our shit <laughs> you know to just then have to uh put things in the wrong place and get it to the wrong audience you know what I mean that that's really and that's been a big part like skipping way forward to all the bands and challenges now is I'm like why are we required to get a whole master's degree to be able to curate for the public and be entrusted in that role, just to have nobodies from nowhere come in and just be like, 
no, you can't have these books. They're pornographic or whatever else. It's like, literally, we've been curating these in a very professional, well-thought-out manner for 200 years. Like, <laughs> you know? So. And I, I agree that uh, I'm not saying that a teenager can't read the ones with violence, because I always want someone okay. to if they can read it, they have the maturity to be able to read it, they should have the opportunity to do so. I just think that there should be a lot of warnings being like, uh, hey, just heads up, this is a mature, mm -hmm. mature book. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's all we're asking. I mean, I'm a parent too, so I understand, obviously. Like, I would have questions if gender queer was in my kid's picture book section or, like, early reader section, but it's not. <laughs> so. Uh. Why do you think, well, not why you think, because uh, I've made sure that this question is question, written in a way to really express the fact that I do think libraries are important. The question is, why are libraries so important? You know, that's funny is I, again, went into it just like this is something I'm interested in, didn't even think about the importance, but more and more as kind of we see, and this is just statistics, like middle class shrinkage, you know, when we go to like ultra rich and, and, and the poor, um, there's not a lot of public spaces that you don't have to purchase something to be in. If you think about it, there's like public parks, which are going to be subject to weather and availability for like athletics and community events and public libraries. And that's pretty much it. And public libraries obviously are a place where you could do everything from be safe if home isn't safe to be out of the weather and out of exposure to having access to restrooms and sinks that you may need. Uh, some of them allow snacks and, you know, you can have, be safe and have your snacks in there and get fed for the day. A lot of them have free lunch programs. I mean, libraries do so much more than just as if book, books aren't, I'm, I'm air coding, as if books aren't important, but so much more than just books, the computer access, the quick access to like, oh, I need to print, you know, back before we were doing the scanning on our phones, if you needed to print your, um, airplane uh, ticket. People would just run to the library. I haven't been to the library in 20 years, but I need to print something. Can I do that? Like, it's amazing the scope of services that you would have to pay a lot more for elsewhere that you can go do at the library that could save your bacon someday when you're on the road, so. I know that having the, the quick and easy internet access for a lot of people is important because you can't find like, a, if someone is looking for a job, Back in the day, and I don't want to say, <laughs> say back in the day, as if I'm, uh, which I am. Uh, <laughs> but you can't apply for a job anymore without the internet. Yeah. And library there and having it uh, accessible to people to go on the internet, that can be, that can make a break person. And I appreciate that. It's, uh, it's interesting because I always see a lot of people being like, uh, I don't, I don't make use of all these stuff. So why should I, why should I pay taxes for stuff I don't use? But I always, libraries are one thing where I'm just like, no, take all my taxes because me investing in the community is for people who need help in my community. Like all the stuff that you just listed, I want people to have access to that. Yeah. And it, it, it helps the community, uh, people being able to get jobs, people being able to be safe. That's a good investment to have. And I'm just always like, that's one government institution. Whenever I hear anyone say anything negative about libraries, I'm like, shut your mouth. How dare you? Uh. <laughs> people don't understand, too, like, all the people that oversimplify, like, the unhoused problem. They're like, oh, just get a job. And, like, forget mental illness, drug use, whatever else. 
just throwing all that out, people who are like even my age, and then of course anyone older than me, so I, I'm in my 40s, um, learning, like I had people come in who didn't know how to use a mouse, a computer mouse, because they didn't do that in school. Like I only started doing that in school in like middle school or high school, um, you know, who didn't know how to log in, who didn't have an email address, who don't have access to a cell phone because they can't afford it. It's not as simple as just going to a business and meeting someone in person these days and saying, I would like to have a job. Like they say, great, go online and apply, you know, great, do the phone interviews. Like I don't have access to any of those things. Now what? And that's what, that's the big link in the chain of like, just go get a job and, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps that people don't understand is, is that learning and like availability or access gap that there, that exists. I also think of like uh, when back to the whole <laughs> paying taxes for libraries, making sure. things safe. Uh, I think of libraries, and this is weird, but I think of libraries the same as like uh, street lines. You need them. <laughs> a lot of people overlook the street lines. They're like, <laughs> oh, I don't need to pay so much for safer streets. I'm like, hmm, I really like to have reflecting uh, the the little uh, reflecting the, bumps. the little bumps. I like the bumps. Yeah. The bumps yeah. Are I feel safer. I I can see the streets. Absolutely. I'm, I can see the streets at night. It's really cool. And I feel the same way about libraries. Is that you can, <laughs> you can overlook them. You can be like, oh, I haven't been there since I was a kid. But they make the they make the world a better place, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Thank you. And I was surprised. I think I went to the San Diego Library during Comic Con this past year. I think it was okay, either. Okay. Yeah. Year. It was either this year or 2022, mm -hmm. but that's a big library. <laughs> it is, yes. Yeah, I, and it's gorgeous. I, it has the, the view, right? You know, and it's a really neat place. I took a, an elevator. I don't think I've ever taken an elevator in a library. <laughs> yeah, yep. That place is enormous, and it beyond library stuff. They have a whole maker space like technology center where people learn how to like make things from scratch that I could never do. I mean, they have like fix your wardrobe before you go on a job interview, like sewing classes and just everything that you could find useful that you take for granted. A library does it. I guarantee. What's what kind of technology do they have at that makerspace? They have 3D printers, they have, um, yeah, yeah, they'll do like full 3D, pr 3D printers and people learn how to use them and make different projects. I don't even know, sewing machines. Um, and a lot of libraries now have been doing for the last like five or 10 years, like virtual reality gaming. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of really cool, really fun, free to go check out, you know, stuff to do if you're just bored even if you have internet and all those things, if you're like, I've never tried VR, I wonder what that's like. You can just go to your library and do that. It's really cool. I'm pretty confident we don't have VR at my library. <laughs> really? Where do you, you're in, you're in Riverside oh. County? I bet you, you have one nearby that does though. A lot of them do now. So. Oh yeah. I have no doubt that I do have a library I can go to that has VR. Yes. But the library yes. that I generally go to because it's it's down the street. It's with, my library is in, within walking distance. I'm pretty confident that's where I'm going to get the next book that I'm going to read. I don't need to walk to VR. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, it's interesting because you mentioned uh, having a library story, and I was trying to think of any library stories I have, 
unfortunately, uh, my memories are blocked by all of my memories of pop culture. And so mm -hmm. I was glancing it back at like all the library stories I have. And the first thing that came up in my mind is the scenes from Page Master. And I'm like, Jimmy, you didn't do that. You didn't live it. You watched it. I'm doing, I'm doing the cable guy thing where I'm <laughs> <laughs> no Scrooge, Scrooge, the character on Scrooge, uh, cable guy lied about his life. Scrooge, uh, what's his name? I'm blanking on the guys, but uh, Bill, Bill, you remember Bill Murray's character? What his name was? Mm, no, I just watched it the other day too, and I don't remember. It's not Calvin. No, that's Santa. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google this. That's ridiculous. I have the name. Just to, uh, we're gonna have to cut this out because we're gonna we're gonna lose our pop culture card for this. <laughs> the point is, is I kept thinking about the page master uh, with a uh, uh, with Christopher Lloyd, and every time like I shave to have like the facial hair, and my hair gets really long, and I start to be like, oh man, I am totally. I'm totally trying to rock the Christopher Lloyd librarian look going on here. <laughs> that being said, which book, Adventure, the, the three books, the three main books uh, in the Page Master, uh, and if, if anyone has not seen Page Master, I highly recommend it. Macaulay Culkin, uh, Christopher Lloyd, Patrick Stewart, Whoopi Goldberg. I can't remember who horror, who, who voiced horror. Uh, it's a great movie, and I highly recommend it. Um, so I'm asking you, which book uh, from the Page Master would you want to have a meal with or a drink with, whatever you want, coffee, tea, alcohol, up to you? So first of all, be prepared to be rendered deceased because I had not seen it ever before. So when you sent the questions along, I appreciated it because it's $3 to rent and we were in the middle of a Hunger Games marathon here at the house, important stuff. Um, so I ended up having to like Google and watch about the book. So I do understand the reference now and I need to watch that movie because it looks amazing. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's my next task after we finish the, the Hunger Games uh, priority. But uh, to answer the question, um, Whoopi Goldberg's book, that's the fantasy one. I, I, she takes no crap. She's like, she's like, she should have been the librarian. She like gets everybody like boots in their backside and she likes to read. Let's see what else. Oh, she wears Little Mermaid underwear. Um, I did see that. That was interesting. Uh, what else? She's very practical. You know, all the guys are like, let's walk around and be doofy from what I could see in the cliffs. And she was just like, no, this is what we're doing. So, yeah, either either I just think she's most like me or I would have a meal with her. But maybe I'd have a meal with her and I would hate it because she'd be too much like me. But anyway, she was the one I was most drawn to when I watched the clips. <laughs> I also think that I would rather hang out with fantasy. Yeah. I feel like horror, I like I like talking to spooky, weird people, but horror is, uh, I don't think I'd actually be able to have a conversation with horror. Yeah, yeah. And no offense, but like um, the other one, it was horror, it was fantasy. What was the third one? What was he called again? I, the pirate? What'd you say? A, yeah, okay. Yeah, he's, um. he just seems like every... In a weaponized inept male <laughs> that I uh, like get enough of in life. Agreed, agreed completely. I was gonna say that he is way too boastful, and but you described adventure way better than I would. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like uh, having a conversation with adventure would just be 
constantly him bragging about every adventure that he's been on, bragging about how yeah. he can sail the seven seas, and uh, I think that that would be uh, exhausting. Um, yes, and that's that's a woman's experience talking to a lot of men. So I'm I'm good. I've had that experience. I'll have it again. I'm sure. So. Uh, fantasy, I feel like, is going to have a good conversation, and we're going to be able to yeah. gossip about uh, the characters in the fantasy uh, aisle. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I am so glad. Did you know about Page Master prior to us talking about, as you've seen the question? I feel like I've heard it about it. I feel like I've heard about it, and it was funny because when I started looking it up, my oldest kid said that they had to watch it in third grade, like in class. And so she knew the reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was telling me all about it. Um, but clearly that's something that my youngest has missed. And even my husband hasn't seen it either. But it had to have been like 90, 1994. They had to have been like capitalizing off the Macaulay Culkin of it all, right? Like the Home Alone of it all. Yeah, yeah. Most definitely. Um, I'm glad that she's watched it because... Uh... What was it? I, I'm always worried because like there's a lot of cartoons I watch because school has made them mandatory. Yeah. I, I, but I like Page Master being mandatory because it does teach kids the appreciation of older literature. Mm. <laughs> they mention books that kids now can go to the library and pick up, and they just like glimpse at stuff. And I feel like I feel like that movie could potentially inspire them to be like, you know what? I want to read the whole story. Yeah, yeah, I could see it from what I saw. It looked fun. And I feel the same way about Fern Gully. Like, Fern Gully was one of the things that I would always watch as a kid in school. School would make you watch it. And I think that, I think that movie might have been too adult for kids, but <laughs> I, I absolutely enjoyed it. It made me fall in love with Tim Curry. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. So we mentioned uh, Creators Assemble. Uh, and you are co-founder, correct? Yeah, and I'm still vice president as of up until the spring, anyway. Um, yes, co-founder. We talked about what the what good things that you do, but I'm just curious, what is Creators Assemble and what like inspired it to happen? So we're a nonprofit, and we've been around since literally the pandemic because I had my last in-person library job end when everything shut down and we had me we being myself and my husband joe had talked about doing something like it just because by that point i was so much the comic specialist librarian despite the fact that i was actually just like a library manager working in a library um and there were so many like things that you can't necessarily do in a library setting not anything bad but just like Obviously, you're a whole librarian for the whole community, not just the comics people, right? But there were so many times there was like, oh man, I really want to let these creators uh, advertise their art or um, get themselves out there, get themselves known. But there's a lot of bureaucracy and everything involved. And my husband had always said, someday you're going to start something bigger than this. And I was like, I'm, I'm a library manager. I don't have time for that. Um, and then once the pandemic hit, it was like, neither one of us had jobs anymore. We didn't really want any gaps in our employment. Obviously everyone was scared and wanted to be distracted. And so we took what money we didn't have and paid the government to incorporate the 501c3 status. <laughs> um, and just 
started and, and it started with meeting virtually with creators of all different kinds to talk about their various experiences and really sort of trying to get people to network to figure out where they where what they could learn from one another um, and what various things they did in our space that they actually had a passion for and could get paid you know to do so that it became more than just a side hobby but actually something that people could really have a passion and do and not have to do something they hated <laughs> day to day if, if possible. So that's really what it came out of in a nutshell. And then since then, I actually had to write down, um, we were nominated, I don't know what's going to happen, but as one of Kickstarter's like nonprofits of the year for 2023, I don't know if we're going to be like chosen, but we were on the nominee list. Um, and so I had to write down like all the things just recently, like that we've done. And I was like, because like, we're all volunteer run none of us get paid for this or anything and I was just like I have a networking event we have a, a YouTube page with all the educational like classes on it we've done in-person classes um with like kids learning how to do different kinds of like comic strips we've done the make-a-wish like you knew about plus we've paired artists and done um we had one kid who's um one of her biggest make-a-wishes was to spend a day like creating this character that she'd had in her mind her whole life kind of thing and so we actually were able to pay an artist to meet with her and spend the day like creating her character and creating her comic book and learning the medium and it was really cool but we've done like um fundraisers for women and children who were displaced in the ukraine we do now a lot with um gaming because now that we've kind of cornered and a lot of other people are for the for better uh doing comics and classrooms we're doing gaming in classrooms and educational settings so you know because there's so much like problem solving and obviously like practical math and history and all these awesome things that you can learn from games too so we are actually coming out with a toolkit for using games in your educational setting for like educators in the spring we're hoping to debut it at least tease it at wondercon and then do the big debut at Comic-Con and we're hoping to be at ALA Annual, actually where all the librarians are, um, working with the gaming roundtable to actually practically play our toolkit and sell it there too. That's really cool. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a long time coming and we have a great team on it. So. And so you're designing the game or is it the game that you already have? So we're designing learning outcomes for using games. So we already have a comics toolkit and what's in it is um, best practices for incorporating comics plus like reading lists for different subjects um, and then like learning outcomes and also Q&A because as I mentioned in my story, like when I first became a librarian, I had to justify why am I using, you know, public funds to buy comics, right? Um, so we do the same with gaming and with and with our comics toolkits, we say like, if a parent finds a comic for a college student that they're paying for their classes and they go, why are you reading comics for your college class? We have justification and statistics and learning outcomes to kind of back up why you're doing this. But yes, we will be incorporating one to two specific games where we'll actually be able to demonstrate the learning outcomes for various ages um yeah so that's that's what the piece we're working on now is we've done a lot of the studies 
we've um, done a lot of the justification and the statistics, and now we're working on one or two partners that'll lend their games to be sold as part of the toolkit that we can actually demonstrate this game has, you know, these three learning outcomes to it, and you can incorporate it, and here's an easy way to get started kind of thing. Do you use board games or just video games? We're doing role-playing games. So we have a card game that we're in conversation with, and then um, we're also showing educators how they can build characters to do simple, like, D&D-style, you know, role-playing games. Because on a previous episode, the reason why I asked is because on a previous episode, I interviewed um, an artist who was at San Diego Comic Fest. And if you don't know them, I'm going to have to look on social media to see if you know them already. Because they have a uh, language learning card game, a uh, language learning okay. d that you might be oh, interested cool. in. Yeah, I would love it's, to connect. It's called Palaver. I'm writing it down. I think you might dig that because uh, I I know they are going to send me one of the games because I want I want it's cool because I have a lot of friends who are into D and D and I have a lot mm -hmm. of friends who are into uh, learning different languages or are interested in learning different languages and I'm just like here's a board game that you should check that's out. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and that one almost doesn't need justification, obviously, because learning a language everyone can agree is a good skill. <laughs> Agreed. I think right now they have uh, the languages they have are Chinese, Japanese, and Spanish. Wow, that's awesome. Good for them. Does it is it frustrating to get all the statistics and show uh, that this stuff actually does work and have people who are like, nah? <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, but I'm as a librarian, I'm used to that, right? Like, everybody's biggest flex is like, libraries those still exist like I hear that all the time and then in the comic space you know I work with the American Library Association's comics roundtable and we do things like we'll meet with the Library of Congress about how to like catalog your comics so that they can be easily found in a library and it took years for the Library of Congress to even like have those conversations with us it's just crazy because obviously you know retail sales for comics you know retail sales for games we see a lot of the same like usage statistics in libraries for all of these things. And yet there's still that stigma of like, nah, like you were saying, it's, it is constant justification. And so that's part of the toolkit too. It's just that 101, what is a comic? Why is it appropriate for different age ranges? What can you get out of it? You know, that kind of stuff. It's really interesting. I, <laughs> I applaud your patience and your willingness to <laughs> the NAS because I if, if I showed all the proof and evidence and I, I mean <laughs> I've done that with uh, plenty of uh, I mean I don't want to get too political but I've, I've dealt with that people on uh, uh, that type of people on social media a lot where I show proof and I show evidence and show articles and yeah. I look person articles on the subject so I will do the legwork to be like all right I can't just use uh, an organization that they're going to say, nope, they are biased. So I have to find the actual statistics uh, and studies that are not quote unquote biased. And here's the article and I'll do all the legwork and have them be like, nah, I'm like, all right, cool, whatever, I'm fine. I did all that. No, homework. for sure, yeah. And, and that's something like when I put like my literacy faces hat on or like the older school librarians, I go, I don't care if you don't like comics or games or whatever it is. There's lots of stuff that I, will help a patron find in a library that I don't love. 
but that's that's the whole point is like that's not it's not for you it's not about you it's about connecting you know these people to the resources they need and especially when you're looking at people aren't reading to the level that they used to be right and so if you want people to read you got to find them something they love to read if you want people to use the library you got to give them something to do in the library that they love to do like playing games you know it's just I don't care if you don't like it. Here's how the 101 on how you can easily implement it, even if you don't understand it, you know? So that's what we're trying to kind of overcome with this. And I do love using video games because uh, when I was a kid, I would always draw. And I think I mentioned this in an early podcast. I would draw as a kid and my teachers would get, would get mad at me and they'll spell, tell me to stop drawing that I have to listen. It was only until like, I think high school that I realized that if I draw what the teacher is talking about i'm listening i'm actually doing stuff and being able to be yeah. active, moving while i listen helped me so much more and i right. wish knew that that was a that was a way that kids could learn yeah and i feel like that's i really appreciate that with the video games because giving them it, learning does not have to be how it always has been you can yeah. find other ways to learn and Absolutely. i think that's super rad that you're giving kids uh, you're proving that it can happen that it can work i'm sorry that was your experience and that's that's kind of what we look to minimize as much as possible to having sorry my having that happen my greatest protector and biggest nemesis is this guy <laughs> sorry <laughs> about that especially when no one else is home he thinks that it's his job to bark at everything um oh yeah no i'm sorry that that happened to you was what i meant to say because I think, I believe now that the old school teachers and librarians are literally dying out, <laughs> uh, we have a newer era of people who understand that not everyone's brains work the same, you know, so. I think you laughed at saying, <laughs> uh, older folks are literally dying out, ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> the old school mentality, the gatekeeping, the it has to be one wayism. I'm hoping that we're getting less and less of that as they retire. Let's put it more in nice terms. Because we won't be able to retire, so they can retire. That's nice for them. <laughs> yeah, they can, they can retire, and they're going to retire on a farm where there's lots of grass to run on. There's <laughs> That's right. And they can have everything one way, the same way, for the rest of their lives. <laughs> uh, when One time when I did post that I was looking for guests on the podcast, you had mentioned... Uh, your love of uh, paranormal stuff. And as I was looking through your posts, one thing that I thought was really interesting, I really want to know more about is you was, I think it was a paranormal lockdown. It was, it was locked something, right? And it was paranormal. Like you yeah. And I'm trying to even remember which one that would have been, because I try to do as many of those as I can physically get to and afford and find time to do. Um, but I think the most recent one was probably Palomar Hotel in Old Town Temecula. We did an all-nighter with um, a man. He's haunted by history on the socials, but his name is Craig. He's he's a good friend of mine now, but he's a, he's awesome. He's like a real historian. And that's part of it for me, too, as a librarian, is like old old buildings and real history and dispelling like oh, it was just a witchy woman, like, no, actually, it was because of abuse in the household that this happened, or whatever it is, you know, he gets to the truth of things, and then he tries to, like, separate it with science, and so I did that one with him, the Palomar Hotel, 
Um, and that was really fun. But I've done like um, overnights at old tuberculosis hospitals, like in Idaho, um, everywhere that I can possibly get to, even places I'm not supposed to go that might be haunted, I get to. <laughs> and I love it. It's so much fun. Why? <laughs> what makes it so much fun? Um, I mean, I guess so the history for one. Um, two is because I don't automatically believe in everything like, oh, that sound, that must have been something or whatever. So I like to try to like find evidence that I can't refute. And that's rarely if ever happens, even in all the times that I have gone to things. Um and yeah, it's just something different to do, right? Like I'm a white girl that lives in the suburbs, has 2.5 kids and all the things, like something different. I don't like riding roller coasters, but I love horror movies. And that's that's my danger is to go to a potentially haunted place that probably is more dangerous because someone dangerous is already squatting there or the place might fall down on me or something. But <laughs> it's, it's the last part that I think I worry the most. Yeah, my husband worries about that a lot, too. We watch a lot of that kind of stuff on TV, too, and he'll be like, oh, I wouldn't go in there. That place would fall down. I'm like, I can figure it out. Like, <laughs> it's, it's the blonde with the boobs going into the like the haunted, scary thing and being like, I'm going to be fine. And, you know, it, it's not fine, probably. <laughs> but it has been so far. I've had conversations with friends, and they're like, oh, yeah, I'd be willing to go to that haunted house. I'm like, uh, I don't want to get tetanus from everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not worried about ghosts. I'm worried about I'm worried about getting physically hurt by the environment decaying and rotting. Absolutely, you are right to be. You are smart. You have self-preservation. I'm I'm the blonde in the in the horror movie. <laughs> cool. <laughs> what uh have you had any cool uh, paranormal experiences? Yeah, a couple that I couldn't explain. One of them was I was in Seattle. Usually when I try to, when I go to like a professional conference, I'll try to do like the history, haunted by history tour, whatever they have somewhere. Because um, it's a cool way to see like the historical places in a new city too, without having to like pay a lot or really put a lot of thought into it. But we did Seattle for ALA annual one year and we did like the Seattle underground and they took you down there. And the, the tour guide was talking about a ghost who liked to flirt with young women. And I was like, well, I'm not young, so whatever. That's like, whatever. Like, I've never really had ghosts talk to me. Like, I'm not concerned about it. But she was like, yeah, this ghost, he likes to whisper in the ears of young women. And so 10 minutes separation, me listening to what she's saying. And they have a bunch of props down there, which is always cheesy. They have a bunch of, like, made-to-be-spooky props down in there where I'm just like, whatever. And I'm looking at all the stuff. And then I had my friend, Dan Wood, who's like my brother, he's like my best friend, but he um, he put his hand on my shoulder and was whispering in my ear because like that's what men usually will do when they want to talk to a woman and like people are kind of around. And you don't want to like be rude or disruptive. And he was whispering in my ear. and I was like, I can't hear him. And I turn to kind of like see or hear what he's saying better. And he's standing 10 feet behind me against the wall. But there's nobody at my shoulder except for the hand still on my shoulder and the whispering is still going. And so the whole tour saw me go like, like this, like slapping at the air because someone who is not my best friend is not allowed to come put their hand on my shoulder and whisper in my ear like they know me. What the hell, bro? Uh, <laughs> and the whispering finally stopped when I did that. And everybody's like, what, what? And I told them what I just told you, that someone was telling me something. 
I didn't catch it, what exactly he was trying to say, but there was a man with his hand on my shoulder whispering sweet nothings into my ear like he knew me. So <laughs> Rude ghosts not asking for a consent. Right. And then the other the only other one I'll tell real quick was um we were on the Queen Mary, my husband and I. Oh, you don't have to be really ago. You don't have to be really quick. I like this story. Like oh, really. okay, okay, okay. He doesn't believe in anything. He still doesn't. And we were on the Queen Mary and they took us through again the like down below where people were killed and all these places and all the history. And then they had, do you, do you remember Richard Blade, the radio DJ? No. Oh, 80s radio DJ. Are you in your 40s or are you younger than I am? I am younger, uh, but okay. I do a lot of stuff. So it's interesting because uh, I'm sure that if I look up this person's name, yeah. as soon as I like hear their voice, because DJ. Oh yeah, and his voice is, he has an accent and everything too. So. Yeah, I'm. Don't don't worry about my age. I I know I know stuff. I just uh, I'm not the best with names. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so Richard Blade was totally 80s. He was doing a dance party on the Queen Mary, and we were in like the banquet area. And my husband and I had been dancing or whatever. We were much younger, <laughs> and we decided to go sit down. So we go to like the outskirts outside of the dance area, like the open floor to where the the, the tables are. And we sit in, you know, it's now darker at the tables. And we go and sit at the table. And we're just kind of sitting there looking around, watch people watching, whatever. And it's really loud, obviously. And then he looks at me and he goes, what did you just say? And the only reason I saw him looking at me was because I was looking at him, wondering what he had just said. Um, and I said, that's weird. And we looked at each other for a second. And I said, "Count at the count of three, tell me what you just heard. And so we both went one, two, three. And we both said, can you help me at the same time? And then at that moment, I kind of felt like a rush of air, you know, like cooler air. And I was like, whoa. And he still to this day, like, can't explain it. And I actually got up and went to the wall, like behind him to see if there was like a door, if anybody could have come in or out. But it was a woman's voice. And she just said, can you help me? And when she and by the time she got both of our attention or whatever, it, it was over. But we both heard it. So. That's pretty rad. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a good one too. They put it on a plaque. I told somebody at the Queen Mary about it, and I don't know if they still have it up, but for a while they had written that story like on a plaque and put it up in the hallway so people would like know because they love their paranormal stories there. Mo most of it is bullshit, but <laughs> I like it that this ghost is polite and asked, "Can you help me?" and wasn't touching anyone's shoulders. They yeah, just whispering in my ear. It's <laughs> so weird. How do you think the library, the library ghost from Ghostbusters died? Oh my gosh. So I, Ghostbusters was like one of my favorites when I was growing up, as you can imagine with all the paranormal stuff. And I rewatched just that part last night, again, to do my homework for this. And um, there were so many things, like an uptight old school librarian. It was definitely a heart attack, but I will tell you the things that could have caused her the heart attack. Okay. So she had unauthorized people in her archives. I've almost given another librarian a heart attack by doing that before I knew better. She had um, water damage from the ectoplasmic goo that was all over, um, disorganized, like all the filing system was all screwed up and everything was everywhere. What else? Um, the bookshelf probably fell on her. You saw how unsteady those were. Uh, or I think she was one of the ones that had those old school, like where you go up on the ladders, which is so unsafe. She could have like fallen from that. And then also we saw when she, when she, ah, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen that, what, 40-year-old movie, 
um, <laughs> when, when she finally shows herself when they get her attention and her teeth are all rotted and stuff. I mean, dental hygiene can cause all kinds of secondary issues, you know, that that could have been something as well. There's lots of ways that that woman could have died. I, I like it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> in, in case you haven't seen, uh, if, if, in case you haven't heard of anything about Ghostbusters, Right, right, exactly. Yeah, sorry, sorry, everyone hasn't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> They've done that gag in movies, in comic books, in cartoons, and video games. But if you still, <laughs> if you still watch Ghostbusters, you're like, what are they going to do about the library ghost? I, I apologize for not giving you a spoiler warning. Sorry. We... Yeah. I also You'll think have to that, edit that in. I also think that uh, <laughs> I also think that it might have been like a heart attack. And I was watching that scene. Well, I didn't have to watch that scene. I was watching it inside my memory because I have Ghostbusters memorized. Yeah, uh, as one does. I, I, I think about where I think that this librarian uh, was so focused on keeping the library perfect and tidy. Uh -huh. Whatever killed her, she was just like, fine, I'm just going to destroy this library because <laughs> they're just really weird shit that she did of like stacking a, go stacking a book. Yes. In, like, oh, my gosh. Yes. And she messed up those filing things. I'm just like, oh, I would also be like, you know what? If my rules don't matter, I'm just going to destroy everything. <laughs> oh, yeah, she definitely took the world out with her, her world out with her. That was, I was just like, no. And then uh, at the end, spoiler alert for everyone who doesn't know this, but <laughs> the last time we see her, she's just reading. I feel like that's her safe space of once she gets a, once she gets it all out of her system, she's like, yeah, we'll find a book and read. So that's, that's a funny, I'll, that I'll let you in on the secret. Um, when, when they ask you like why you want to get into, like, why do you want to work at a library? What do you want? Why do you want this job? If you say it's because I like, I love to read, um, you'll fail the interview pretty much because people think that librarians read all the time like that like like while they're working I mean like in a work capacity and that's just not there's just not time for that nonsense with all the other stuff that has to be done um so that I did find that funny too the librarian stereotype in media of her sitting there reading <laughs> instead of like do I don't know reshelving all the books that were everywhere in that place <laughs> yeah this is this is this is that library ghost enjoying the afterlife <laughs> Yeah, for sure. She's enjoying her retirement. See, there you go. <laughs> and being very upset that uh, she was killed by people <laughs> who did not respect her organization. So, so everything. Her, her Dewey Decimal System, yes. <laughs> that's the term. I was, I was like. I oh, can't. gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, one thing I thought was amazing, and I think it was what... Uh, I can't remember what year. Was it this past year? But you were an Eisner judge? Yeah, it was this past year. Actually, I was just thinking about that this morning because I'm a 2023 Eisner judge. So I am the most recent Eisner judges, but they're going to announce within the next week or two the 2024 slate, and then I will be able to take my hat off and throw it. Uh, <laughs> but yes, I was an Eisner judge for this past year. Um, yeah. I don't know. What, what were you? Was there oh, I'll get something you want to know about? I'll get, to the, I'll get to the question eventually, but I wanted to explain yeah. to listeners who don't know, but Eisner's are the big award for comic book, uh, for people in the comic book industry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I try to tell people they're like the Oscars of the comic book industry. So, the, closest, the 
the closest I've ever gotten to an Eisner was uh, I it was at it was behind the com- it was behind Comic Con and uh, this person was looking for a party or looking for uh, they had to find a destination to meet up with some friends and mm. the person was hey could you hold this for me and uh, I was like sure and they gave me an Eisner to hold and I was like this uh huh this is a this is an Eisner right and she's like yeah I'm like cool 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 I'm just all right. <laughs> I remember being at this at the awards ceremony and I wanted to meet James Tynion so bad. This was like two years ago. And he had won that was one of the first year that he won like five or something. And it was adorable. He they they don't give you they like don't pack them for you. So he was like packing them himself. And so I was helping him because like if you want to talk to him, make yourself useful. And so I'm chatting with him while he's just giggling. He's so giddy and happy and I'm helping him pack away his eyes. That was yeah, that's the closest I've ever been to them physically to the award myself. <laughs> what was it like being an Eisner judge? It's good. So 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 technically the first rule of Eisner judging is you don't talk about Eisner judging. Um but it's <laughs> it was really um it's a lot of work because you start off by reading everything and all the genres and then you get two to three categories that you're a specialist in for that year. And you have to read everything, everything in those categories. And then everybody reads the finalists from each category. And you all vote and fight and cry because there's a lot of sleepless nights. And <laughs> it culminates into a weekend where they actually, where the Comic-Con um, organization puts you up in a hotel, all the judges. And it's kind of cool. It's like jury sequestering. You, nobody outside of your group is allowed to come to any of the meals or any of that. And then they, they even like to have your meal catered while you're working and you sit there in the Comic-Con offices and you read your Eisner books and you guys discuss and you vote and you go back to reading and maybe you fall asleep for a second, micro nap and cry a little and then go back to <laughs> the whole thing. But it's really rewarding and it makes a team out of a handful of complete strangers, each who have a different point of view. Um, makes a team out of you and that's that's a really cool like experience that I wouldn't trade for the world after it's all over but I'm also laughing because I know who some of them are for this year and I'm like <laughs> it's your turn so. <laughs> that is pretty cool uh I I think it's amazing I think that uh that is because like a lot of people Love artists, a lot of writers. They work really hard. Uh, a lot of them, like when, if you walk through Artist Alley, you'll see people working themselves to death, where they don't sleep and creating this yeah. art, and that it's going to appeal to someone. And to get to the point of getting like the highest award, getting an award for all of the work, all the effort, all the sleepless nights, and being like, hey, this stuff, this art that you created is worth. <laughs> here's, it's worth something. You're actually inspiring people to read. You're doing something meaningful with your life here's a reward for it and i think that's really amazing that you got to be a part of that process thank you for, for putting that positive because it is it's a lot of pressure and obviously comics has its detractors of the you know people who argue about different things in the space and so there's a lot of attention around it and it's not perfect it's not a perfect system um there are definitely things that if i were to build a brand new comics award tomorrow i would do differently but it is something that we've had for a long time and it is more work than people realize. And it's more love and appreciation and joy put into it 
um, than people realize. And that's for the better. I mean, like, you only see a little sliver of it above the surface, but it's a really cool process. And I'm, I'm really, I'm also really grateful because they didn't always used to have a librarian involved in the process. And that's been newer within the past, like five or so years. And that's really cool legacy too, to be the one librarian that they have on the panel to have those discussions too. I think that's amazing. I'm glad that they, I'm glad that that, it, it, so was it, was it, no, I, I refuse to believe that it was a rule that they're like, no librarians, but <laughs> is it a, a rule now that there has to be someone, a, a librarian? Because if you have a master's degree in literature and curating, I think that that is a good thing to have, a good. Yeah, but, but to, then to make it make sense though, I mean, they try to have like a retailer, a comics retailer, try to have at least one comics creator, um, someone who's in the comics news space, you know, the media space. Um, so having those, that com combination of specialties. But yeah, it was comics in classrooms and libraries has only been quote unquote legitimate for the past five, maybe 10 years. And so it just was something that people didn't think of was like, why would we bring an educator into this <laughs> conversation, which is kind of funny to think about it now, but was how it was back in the day. I don't know who it was who who thought, hmm, maybe an educator could be helpful, but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> right, yeah, I appreciate that too, for sure. What social media would you like people to know about? Because I know uh, Creators Assemble would be a good one, but I want to know what, because like, if people want to follow you, it, it's, it always sounds creepy to say following with social media, because it's like, <laughs> if, if listener heard your voice and wants to follow you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, and I'm pretty open. I'm, I'm at Moni, M-O-N-I, Bear, B-A-R-R-E, across platforms. I got kicked off of X for being pro, like, you know, for being anti-genocide, basically. So I'm not really over on Twitter X anymore. But everywhere else, I'm at Moni Bear. And then um, Creators Assemble, like you said. And then I'm considering launching a website, but I did, I started doing a lot of consulting last year for people who wanted to get their books like into libraries and like make their market a little bit bigger than just the retail shops. Like once the Kickstarter campaign is over, then what next? Um, so I'm available for that if anyone, or just like to, for people to pick my brain about what is metadata and how can I get books found or like where, what other platforms should I consider working with? Like, I'm always willing to help people with things like that too. I'm glad you said anti-genocide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm pro, no. I was going to say pro-Palestine, but I'm like, I'm pro-people not dying is really what I am. So. <laughs> yeah, emphasize that part. Because I'm yeah, pro-not yeah, dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm currently in uh, a heated argument uh, right now online about, I'm just like, no, just, I, I don't like people dying. <laughs> I want to. Yeah. I want to emphasize that that's my priority. <laughs> right, especially civilians. So yeah, we could go, we could talk about that for the rest of the evening. But yes, I, I hear you. <laughs> uh, what words of wisdom would you give to someone who is, because like, I, it's weird because like, whenever I interview people who have a long list of stuff that they do, it's really hard to figure out what kind of words of wisdom to find, like what pinpoint, what what career, what hat you have that I want to know <laughs> what would be inspiring for you to tell someone. But I guess the best one would be, uh, what words of wisdom would you give to someone who wants to 
do whatever they, <laughs> do whatever they can to support a field that they're interested in, to support the art, support comics, because it seems like every angle that you have comes back to supporting the arts, whether it's books, whether it's comic books, whether it's uh, Eisner, uh, Creators Assemble. That's an amazing amount of support for being like, I love the arts. I want to do whatever I can to keep it going. Yeah. Um, I think not, obviously not everyone can donate to everything all the time. And like, it kills me. Like I can't buy all of my friends' comics projects all the time. I wish I could. Um, so I think the biggest thing is just to like this, like, thank you for having me on a podcast and, um, you know, anytime that you can promote your friends, like, or people that you see doing good work out there, like, how hard is it to just hit share on a social media post with the thought that maybe even one more person can see it and be interested or like we're doing our um, networking event uh, again at WonderCon and Comic-Con, hopefully. And um, how hard is it to invite everyone to the table and say, everyone can come to this event and whatever part of life you're from. So that's, that's really it. Is I think just inviting everyone to the table and, you know, collaboratively sharing what you're doing is really um, the way that you can continue supporting one another. <laughs>